to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Corinthians chapter 15. Well, it's kind of a difficult subject matter. Um, It's a subject matter that everybody deals with. Everybody understands to some capacity Uh, the subject of death, the subject of dying, the subject of what happens after death. We all think of those items. Some may focus on them a little bit more than others. I hope that that's not the focal point of your life on a day-by-day basis. But if it is, hopefully today, this will give you hope. Give us hope. Death is not a fun subject to talk about. And yet, as a Christian, God has made it so that it's not a taboo subject. It's, it's actually something that we can actually be excited about talking about. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, the Jim Jones way, you know, where I don't know of those of you who have ever that even that name uh, elicits in your mind uh, the kook that took people over to uh, where was it? Joe, it wasn't Johannesburg. Where was it? Was it Ghana? Ghana. Yeah, he named it Jonestown. Listen, if a guy stands behind a pulpit and names a city after himself, uh, you probably want to flee. So many of these people that will take hostage, congregations, take hostage people's uh, minds and their hearts because something happens when religion is spoken to a lot of people. You've probably experienced this. Maybe you in your own life This might be even a personal testimony regarding your own self. And that is oftentimes when you maybe go into a church or or you speak with a pastor or you speak with a deacon or an elder, something happens when you walk into a church because all of a sudden some of the brightest minds, they'll walk into a church building and the next thing you know, they just kind of get this glazed look on their eyes and they just receive whatever is being, you know, pumped out from a pulpit. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Now, they would never do that in any other aspect of their life, but when they walk in a door of a church, they have this, this I'm just going to listen because he's the expert and so whatever he says, that must be it. I don't ever want you to come into this church that way. I want you to go home and look at it yourself. Look at it yourself. Find out whether the things that are being spoken of are true. And anytime you go into a church where that is the case, where the pastor just expects you to believe and receive everything that he says, then be careful. Now, mind you, I want you to receive what it is that I say, But I don't want you to receive it just because I say it. I want you to receive it because you've checked my work. You've gone and you've looked in the Word. And you've you've checked it to see, is what he's saying accurate? Is what he's saying what the Word of God says? It's the reason that I prayed the way that I prayed today. 
you didn't come here to hear me. You came here to hopefully be touched to the Lord. Why do I say this? Because there are many different views and ideas about death, about life, about our body, about our soul. What happens to us when we die? You see, it's not just something that we experience today. It's not just an issue that we grapple with in our own mind, whether personally or whether you might open it up and talk to your family or friends about it. I don't know, but we all will grapple with it in some capacity or another. But the thing is, is that this is a long-going problem. This is something that's been going on for years throughout the history of mankind. For while we're here on the earth, we don't really know what's on the other side, except for what the Word of God tells us, right? And so here's the thing. When we we look at the Word, and we see Paul's writings here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what Paul has done is that in the first half of this chapter, in all of this book of 1 Corinthians, we understand in this letter, if you don't, you can go back and listen to all the old messages that are online, but here's the thing. Going back into the into the into all of this book, what we see is that Paul started a church there in Corinth. What he did is he was there for about 18 months. It actually grew and it grew well. Um, there weren't churches all through. There wasn't like a church on every block as there is, you know, oftentimes here in Sarasota that there's a lot of churches to choose from. There was one church. I mean, there was a church in Corinth and Paul was the pastor, Pastor Paul. And, and the church grew for 18 months and then he took off. And while he was gone, he set up, you know, others that were teaching and others that were ministering there and what have you. But it wasn't long after Paul took off, but that we began to see that there was some problems that began to come into the church. And so first, second, and actually third Corinthians, we don't have third Corinthians. Actually, we do have third Corinthians, Corinthians. We don't have first Corinthians, even though your book right now says first Corinthians. You remember, this is actually the second letter. We don't have the first letter. We don't know where it is. This is actually a letter that Paul uh, uh, followed up to a, an original letter that he sent. And then 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians. So we have three letters that Paul talks about. But Paul was trying to gently minister to the church and correct some of the errors that had begun to filter into the church, according to the word. And so one of those questions that he's dealing with today is dealing with death. He's dealing with death. But what he does in the first half of the chapter of chapter 15 is that he started this off with his own testimony. Uh, Let's just look at it really, really quick just for the sake of uh, of, uh, uh, um, maintaining some consistency here and context. We see here in verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, gospel meaning good news, which I preach to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word, that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures 
and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or have died. Paul's writing to, remember, Paul's writing to a local church. Everybody's dead now, (laughs) right? So all of them are gone now. But when Paul says, when Paul wrote the letter, he's saying that some of the people, some of those 500 people, they're dead. They're dead. Most likely, some of them have been martyred for the faith because of their belief in Christ. And after that, well, we know that Stephen was, right? We know that Stephen was stoned in the biblical sense of the term. He was stoned to death. Uh, And after he was seen by James, verse 7, and then by all the apostles, verse 8, and then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. And I'm the least of the apostles, who am not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, by uh, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but it was the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. And so Paul is laying out his testimony. He's saying, man, I shouldn't even be an apostle. I shouldn't be one of these guys. I was the one that actually was an antagonist against Christians. I hated you guys. I was going from town to town. I was securing letters from the high priest to go and root you guys out and kill you guys. I was actually on one of my missions up to Damascus in Syria. And on the way to Damascus, Syria, the Lord knocked me off my high horse and I fell to the ground. And the Lord from out of heaven said, Saul, Saul, for that was my name originally. He's Paul now. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Lord, who are you? Well, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. The voice said, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? You know, the goads are the, the, the sharp, pointy sticks that go behind the hoofs of, of an ox as he treads out, as he uh, uh, plows out a field, as you're pressing the, the, the ox to make a straight line and to to continue the plow going. Well, it kind of gets a little irritated at times and doesn't want to go. And as you're pressing him to go forward, the ox goes, yeah, well, watch this. I'm going to reach back and I'm going to kick you. So I don't know who the, you know, the first one who made the, the sticks, but some farmer along the way got tired of getting kicked by oxes and, and he did it. His last name was probably Goad, you know, and so he named a stick after himself. I don't know, Mr. Goad. But he put these pointy sticks and when the oxes kicked back, they'd hit those, those sharp sticks and go, ow, okay, all right, you know, I'll keep plowing. And that's what Paul was doing. Jesus says, Paul, isn't it hard for you to kick against those sharp sticks? Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? You're trying to tread out, you're trying to plow, you're trying to do my will, but you're going against my will in the process. You're wanting to do your own thing. Isn't it hard to do it that way? I know you want to please me. You just have to look at this in context of what it was that God did with Saul because he didn't didn't belittle Saul, he didn't rebuke Saul, he didn't come down on Saul, he didn't say, Saul, you low life, individual who has been killing my people. 
How dare you? I'm going to strike you dead. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't rebuke Saul at all. He says, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goats? And I truly believe in context, if you look at that whole passage, if you look at that dialogue, if you look at that dialogue in context between Saul and Christ at that moment, you see that God's not mad at Saul. Saul was trying to please the Lord, but he was trying to please the Lord according to the way that he'd been taught, which was according to to tradition, of which Jesus came and kind of came against, right? Jesus said to the Pharisees and the and the and the, the 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 priests and the you know the Jewish leaders the religious leaders he said you teach the traditions of your fathers as the doctrines of God some guy comes in and says well I think that the church or not the church but I think that the people of God need to do this and we need to do that And we need to set a boundary of how long maybe a a Sabbath day walk is. We have to do this or we have to do that. And they write all these little rules and regulations in another book. And as they write all these other traditions in other books, they take those traditions from different rabbis and they begin to teach them as if they were from the Word of God. And, And they're nothing further from the truth. Jesus says... No, don't you understand? You're you're looking at at the scripture and you're coming up with your own philosophy of life, of ministry, of of what it means to follow after God. Jesus rebuked him as, as it came to scripture. He says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have found life, but I tell you that the volume of the scripture speaks of me. It speaks of me and you've missed it because you've got so hung up on tradition. On the tradition of what others have come along and said. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, you didn't check the scripture to match up what you would consider a wise rabbi or pastor or religious leader, what he came up with, even though it contradicted what the word said you received his word and made it law made it rule at the expense of god's word and it's the reason i say to you don't ever do that with me don't ever do that in this church you go home and you check out your scripture you go out and make sure that what's being said is according to what the word of god says because i don't want new new teachings here i don't want new teachings I come against that when I hear a pastor going out, well, that was a cultural thing. No, this is what the Word of God says. Well, they didn't really mean it that way. You know my philosophy here. You can even say it with me. Some of you know it. We've said it many times. When the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense, lest you make nonsense. Right. Nonsense. When the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense lest you make nonsense. And that was what Jesus came against. And so here's the thing. Paul, or Saul, got so caught up in that, he thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he, that God was happy with what he was doing. But can you imagine trying to please the Lord and killing people for serving God? 
and, 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 and putting families in prison because they weren't serving the way that you think that they needed to serve, and so I'm going to put them in prison. And so here's the thing. God comes along by his son, Jesus Christ, knocks him off his high horse and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Well, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? Isn't it hard for you to live this life of tradition when in all actuality, all that you want to do is please my Father? Now I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I'm going to have you be blind for a couple of three days. Go into Damascus and there, stay there. But I'm going to send you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to send you to kings. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I'm going to send you to the Jews and the Gentiles. You're going, to, you're going to minister for me. For the reality of what the Word says. That the Scripture spoke of me in the volume of the book. It is about me. Here's the thing. You're going to have to relearn everything that you did. Some say it took Paul three years. Upwards to 14 years. There's different uh, uh, theologians' thoughts on that. For three years, he went into Arabia, had to rethink things, the deserts. He says, I didn't go and confer with anybody who seemed to be something within the church. I didn't go to one of the apostles or anything to find out, hey, would you teach me what the word of God says? He says, man, I, I ran to the desert and I allowed the Holy Spirit, I allowed God to speak to me and retransform my mind of what the word says. So he allowed God to do that. But he does talk about him, you know, himself, you know, 11 years down the road, you know, uh, for 11 years, he was gone for about a 14 year period. We don't really know a lot that happened in Paul's life for about a 14 year period. After he got saved, after that Damascus road incident, he started ministering there in Damascus People started getting saved. They hated Saul. They wanted to kill him. And so they actually had to release him out of the, out of the wall by a basket because he couldn't even walk through the city gates because he was evangelizing everybody and people were getting saved. And they had to lower him down in a basket to get him out so he wouldn't be killed. And he goes down into Jerusalem. He's down into Jerusalem. And he's going, I can't but help speak about this wondrous new understanding of who Jesus is. And he begins to preach. And then they want to kill him there. He's more passionate than the disciples, than the apostles. They said, you got to get out of Dodge, man. you got to get out of Jerusalem. And so they sent him home to Tarsus. So he went home to Tarsus. And there he was for a long time. He was in the Arabian Desert for three years, Tarsus for probably 11 years, and then Barney, Barney went and picked him up. And that's when Barnabas ended up bringing Saul in and, and using him in the church. But Paul is just giving his testimony. He's saying, this is who I am. I am this man that understands the gospel, that understands why Christ died. I understand it. I understand it now. I didn't always, but I understand it now. And so he's, he's establishing that here's my, here's my testimony, whether you want to accept it as an authority or not, is now up between you and the Lord. But here is, here is my testimony. And so now let me share with you what it is that I know. 
according to Scripture, according to what I understand the Lord to say. And so here's what, what Paul is doing. That's, that's what he's doing. Now, he's done that all the way through 1st, 2nd, and actually 3rd Corinthians, but uh, in this book that we're looking at here, 1st Corinthians, he's done that, but now he's going to answer one of those questions. The questions that go into all of our minds, and that is, what happens after death? What happens? Well, I don't know. What goes on? I don't know. There was confusion. They didn't know. They didn't know what was supposed to happen. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what was, what, what was going to happen with the body. They didn't know what was going to happen with the soul. But Paul, he answers it in verse 35. And this is what he's going to deal with right here. He says in verse 35, But someone will say to me, How are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? So there's two questions. When we die, according to this question, they believe that there's some sort of life after death. Something. They don't believe that you cease to exist. Now there were some of those religious leaders, religious rulers, that believed that you just ceased to exist. There was no resurrection after the dead. The Sadducees, we talked about those guys last week, didn't we? Between the Pharisees and Sadducees, that was a different, that was a, a, a hot, you know, heated, you know, button heads, you know, in their council room, if you will. That's what they argued over dinner. Over whether there was a resurrection or whether there wasn't. Jesus, he rebuked them. He said, listen, have you not read that the Bible, that the word of God says that the scripture says that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he says I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob means that he's still alive. Means that they're still alive. Means that they still have life. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. He's saying, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have died some, you know, 3,000 years before this. And yet, God still says, I am their God. He's saying that they're still alive. They're just not here on the earth. And so, they believe that there is some life after death. Something happens after death. You don't just cease to exist. I don't believe that Paul is addressing Sadducees right here. Paul is dealing with the people who believe that when you die, something happens, but they just don't know. How are the dead raised up? What happens after death? When we die, and the very next moment of consciousness, what, what happens there? And, and then, with what body do they come? What, what kind of a body do they have? And so Paul says, verse 36, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And so Paul turns into a botanist. Paul turns into a botanist and he begins to talk about how seeds, how grain, how a, uh, uh, a gourd, or not a gourd, but a, a, a bulb, will turn into a different type of a plant. It'll turn into a plant 
something that looks completely different than the seed or the bulb. That's what we have here. What we have here is a gladiola bulb. Right now, uh, you know, we could stick a little suit and put, you know, you know, uh, some mascara on this bulb. But I don't care what you do to that bulb. It's a bulb. It's just not going to look all that great. Now, it'll look great to other bulbs. Right? <laughs> but it doesn't look good. Not to our eyes. We look at it and we go, that's a bulb. It looks kind of like an onion. Onions are smelly. Onions make your breath bad. There's no relation there in, in, in you know, between relationships there. But, but here, here's the thing. There, this, is, this is not beautiful. But here's the thing. When this is planted into the ground, this thing dies and out of its death comes forth life. And the life that comes out of that has a different body. And it looks like that. Now, all of a sudden, you don't need to stick a suit on that thing, do you? It's beautiful. Paul, that's what Paul's saying. Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but it's just mere grain. Perhaps it's wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. And so he's saying, a seed will go into the ground, and it's going to grow up. But what that seed's going to do is it's going to turn into a plant, and all plants are going to look different. But they're all going to look like plants. They're all going to look like, you know, you don't plant corn and wheat pop up. Corn's going to pop up and it's going to produce other corn kernels, which will look very similar to the seed that was planted in the ground. But it's, it's corn. You don't plant wheat and there comes corn. You don't plant, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, wheat and it turns corn or, or anything like that. You don't, you don't plant something and it comes out as something else. What he, what he says is that they're all going to be different, but they're going to be the same plant. They're going to be the same plant. God gives it a body as he pleases and to each one, it's, and to each seed, its own body. But understand, he's saying all flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fish, and another of birds. What he's saying here is he's saying, listen, a, a, a human is not a dog. You know, a, a dog is, is not a, a, a shark. You know, it, it's, they're all different fleshes. They're all different fleshes. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. Verse 40. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is the other. Celestial is just a very fancy word for heavenly. Terrestrial is uh, a, a fancy word for earthly. Terra firma. That kind of where we get that term. Terra firma. Terrestrial. So earthly and heavenly. He's saying so there are also, heavenly bodies, celestial bodies, and earthly bodies, terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one. The glory of the terrestrial or the earthly is altogether different. 
There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in its glory. So also, now he's, he set the, he set the, the, uh, the, the, the beginning of his understanding, or he set the, the, uh, the beginning of his answer in here so that we would understand, okay, all right, seeds are different. What you plant is not what comes up. They're all different. And so here's the thing. We're making a differentiation between seeds, between heavenly and earthly. And, and, and okay, got that. And then he goes on. He says, so is also, verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body, human body, is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. How many strong bodies are buried? Small, maybe strong smelling, but not strong physically. They're done. There's no strength left in the body. It's done. It is, it's dead. And it's buried. It's corrupt. It's, it's dishonored. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you dishonor the person necessarily. But we don't put a person, the, the, the body turns corrupt. I, I, those of you, I know some of you have probably smelled the smell of dead human. I've had to, too many, I, I, I don't like the smell. There is a, a distinct smell. It's pungent. It's strong. It's horrible. And it smells different than a dead animal. Just smells different. And the thought is, in, or the, the smell is ingrained in my head. I hate that smell. I would not want that smell. I would not want to take that body that has been you know, dead for a week or two weeks or three weeks and put it into my house and set it up because the smell would be horrible. Paul's going, it, it's corrupt. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't do anything. with it. The, the, the body is, is done. When it's done here on the earth, you bury it. Okay? You sow it in the ground. That's what he means. When you sow it into, in, uh, it's sown in corruption, it's buried in corruption, but it rises up incorruptible. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised up. It's buried in dishonor, it's buried in weakness, and it's raised up in glory and in power. It's sown or buried as a natural body, but it's now raised up a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So he's answering the question. Our bodies are going to be different after we die and rise again. So it is written, verse 45, the first man, Adam, we know Adam from the book of Genesis, right? First man was Adam. The first man, Adam, he became a living being. But the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Let me read a few more of these verses and then I'll make some comments on these Adams. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And then, after the natural, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth. Adam was made out of dust 
The second man is the Lord from heaven, is Jesus, is what we're talking about. And the man of dust, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, Christ, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, which we're living in right now, all of us in this room, we live in the, the, the image of the man of dust who is Adam. We also, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, which is Christ. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Look back up here for a second before we move into verse 51. And so here's the thing. Paul, he comes in and he says, okay, Adam was the first man upon the face of the earth. He was created out of the dust of the ground. God breathed not, uh, air into his lungs and he became a life, you know, alive. He became a, a, a being, a human being upon the face of the earth. He was the first Adam. But that body and I'm going to fill a lot of gaps in here between the last, the first Adam and the last Adam, that first Adam committed sin in the garden, which produced death. He was going to die. And he was going to be separated. Death is simply separation. We think of death as something uh, that that is permanent. Well, in in a way it's permanent. In a sense it's permanent. But it's not permanent uh, in the truest sense of the word for this reason. Here's the thing. Death is not the end. Death is not the end. Death is the end of a time of life. The time of life that you are living in this body. The time of life that Adam lived in his body. But death was separation. I mean, you only have to go back into the book of, of Genesis in chapter 3 to find, and then read this, uh, the, the next chapter to find out that, uh, and, and, and the following chapter, 3, 4, and 5, that Adam, Adam, he lived, but then he died. Adam was created not to die, but in God's mercy, he forced Adam out of the Garden of Eden. You remember? God said, Do not eat of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. For in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of, the good, of, of good and evil, you shall surely die. Okay? It's God saying. The moment you eat of that tree, boom, you're going to be struck by lightning and killed. No, because here's the thing. God said, in the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Up to this point, you have eternal life with me. Up to this point, you have no need for anything upon the face of this earth. You have no need of a curse. There's no curse. There's no sin. Now, there is opportunity to sin because that's the one thing that God gave to you and I, which in one hand, on one hand, we think that was not good, Lord, that you gave us the ability to sin. But on the other hand, if we really think through it, it actually was one of the most loving things that God could possibly ever give to us. Because it gave us the opportunity to choose. That's what the Garden of Eden was all about. People go, why did God ever put that, that tree in the middle of the garden in the first place? That was cruel. No, the reason God put that, guard, that tree in the garden in the first place was to give man a choice. 
I've given you, Adam, all of this. You'll never have to work for the rest of your life. You will bask in this beauty. You'll be in this garden. You'll have never have a want ever again in your life. However, there's one tree in the garden. Should you choose to not accept my mission, should you choose not to want to do it my way, there's a tree in the middle of the garden that you can escape this. You don't have to follow me. You don't have to be my servant. You don't have to love me. You don't have to follow me. You can leave that. You can be separated from me if you go and eat that tree. From the day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. There's going to be a separation between us. And it was the very next thing, the very next subject in there is that right after God says don't eat of the tree, they're standing at the tree. And they're, they're wondering, wow, the tree looks like it's pretty good to eat. The tree looks okay. And then the serpent slithers in and begins to say things that are partially true and partially a lie. Isn't that just like Satan? He'll say just enough truth, but with an ulterior motive that would actually be the sin behind it. You will not surely die. You're not going to die. You're not going to cease to breathe today. Is that true? Yeah, that was true. God knows in the day that you eat of this tree, you're you're not going to die. You're just going to know as he knows. You're going to know between good and evil. Now, we might look at that and go, well, duh, that's the name of the tree. The tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. I would think that if you take of the fruit of that tree, which we don't know if it was an apple tree, so don't curse down on apples. I'm doing that in defense of the apple farmers of America. The fruit of that tree, it looked good, But if you ate of the fruit of that tree, God said, it's going to give you the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't need that. If you want it, you can eat it. But there's going to be a separation. After they did that, after they ate of that tree, God banished them from the garden, lest they eat from the tree of life, which would guarantee that they would live like that for the rest of eternity. He got them out of the garden in his grace and in his love for man. He got them out of the garden so they couldn't go and do exactly what they just did. He separated himself from them. Death is separation. Death is separation. Death is separation from this body. When I die, this body is... If, if we were to look at this body that we have, don't look too close, but I mean, if we look at this body that we have, it's just a tent. It is. It's, it's an earth suit. It's an earth suit by which we recognize each other and we interact with each other upon the face of this earth. But here's the thing. This is not who I will always be. I am going to be cut in heaven, man, with hair. But here's the thing. I'm not going to look like this in heaven. Because this is a tent. This is just who you know me as. But my soul is different. 
it's a different, this isn't my soul. This is my body. This thing is going to, it's just going to go back to dust. It's just going to, it's just going to just go back to dust. But Paul says, you got to first be the natural. And then when you die, you'll become the spiritual. Here's the thing. He's saying that the first man was of the earth. Um, I'm sorry, verse 45. First man, Adam, he became a living being, a human being. But the last man became a life-giving spirit. So Adam gave us human being life. Christ gave us eternal life. Christ gave us a life-giving spirit. Life-giving spirit. An eternal life-giving spirit. He's the last Adam. Paul's saying, what your body you have, that, don't worry, don't be so concerned about your, your, your life, your, your, your body. And I know we spend a lot of time on our bodies. Some more than others. Some less than others. Some put perfume on and deodorant on. Why? Because we stink. Right? I don't care how beautiful you are or how handsome you are. Go without a shower for a couple of days in this Florida heat. Got to use your imagination today because it's the three days of the year where it's going to be cold. Here's the thing. You're going to stink. And I don't care how beautiful you are, you're going to stink. Until you wash the stink off. Until you cover it and mask it with some deodorant or perfume. You're going to stink. I don't care how beautiful, how awesome, how wonderful a person is. They're going to stink. Let them die and give them three days. They're going to really stink. Because this flesh, it produces stink. But heaven, man, no more of that. No more of that. That's what Adam has given to us. A life being. But what Christ offers to us is a life-giving spirit. Eternal life. Flesh and blood. Paul says in verse 50, he says, this body that we're in, this isn't what's going to go to heaven. For flesh the meat that we have and the blood that we have in our veins cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And let me finish with this. He says, and, and I believe that this is where Paul began to write faster because he got excited. This is where I would write faster and I'd have to go over and retype it because I would write it out so fast that I, I was too excited and I had to go back and correct all my typos. But here's the thing. I think that this is where Paul, this is the, 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 the crescendo of Paul's message here. I think that this is the crescendo. He's going, guys, let's stop focusing upon the, 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 the earthly body. Let's consider the heavenly body. Let's consider that life doesn't end here on the earth. That your life doesn't consist of 60, 70, 80, 90 years, 100 years upon this planet. It consists of an, it's an eternal being. Let's more so focus on living our life today for the future, for what is going to happen. For if you, if we were to draw a line from that window to this wall over here, the, 
the expanse of this room and put a, a thread on this line and, and, and take one little speck of a dot right there in the middle of it, that would represent your life. That little spot would represent your life. And even that I put a, 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 a parameter that I, that I put a wall and a window as, as extents. That's a misnomer because it never ends. You're a spot on this long line of, of eternity, of time. And we spend more focus upon the spot instead of considering the rest of it. And that's what Paul's trying to get into our heads. He's going, listen, it's not about the body. It's not about the natural. You want to talk about what happens to us after we die? Well, this thing is going to go away. For some of us, we say hallelujah. But for others, you might miss it a little bit, you think. But when you get into heaven, you're going to go, wow, I look like that. Wow, look at what I have today. Even as I said in my opening prayer, listen, you remember what what, what Jesus, Jesus said to Philip? Philip, in my father's house are many mansions, are many dwelling places. If it weren't true, I would have told you so. But now, Philip, listen, I'm going to go to my father and your father. And I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may also be. Here's the thing. Jesus said some 2,000 years ago that he's going to go and build a place in heaven for you and I. <coughs> If in six days he can create the beauty of this earth, what in the world do you think he can do in 2,000 years? Heaven is going to be magnificent. Beyond, I think the biggest word in heaven is going to be a three-letter word. Wow. That's right. Thanks, Ross. Wow. You're with me. Wow. I mean, you get to heaven. And your very first words... Wow. 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 Wow, Lord. Wow. 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 I mean, it's just, I mean, you can't believe what you see. I mean, I've been to some beautiful places on this face of this earth. Sometimes you just need to go out to Siesta Key. We live in one of the most beautiful places in the world, on, uh, beach-wise. And you go out there at sunset and you sit there and you look at this beautiful beach that we have and you just go, see the sun setting, you see some nice little clouds out there as the sun is setting and the oranges and the purples and the radiance of the, you know, the sunbeams coming through the cloud, all that, oh, setting down into the, into the ocean, you sit there and you just go, wow. If that can make you say, wow, here on the earth, what in the world do you think is going to look like in heaven? Hey, here's the thing. Heaven. Paul focuses not on the on today, but he focuses on the earth. And this is where I think he, he speeds up. He goes, listen, verse 50. Now this I say, brother, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption enter corruption. But listen to me. Behold, I'm telling you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we all will be changed. In a moment, in the, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, then we all shall be changed. 
This corruptible, this human body, this terrestrial body must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is, that is written in Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory. And in Hosea, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory. Where? How does God give us the victory? Paul answers it. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you have victory of life after this earthly death? Through the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I hit that last verse, because that, that will put the cap in the bookend on this. Don't read it. I saw you, Gary. I saw you reaching down there to read that. Here's, here's what he's saying. There's coming a day where... And, and Paul deals with this in First Corinthians or First Thessalonians chapter four, Second Thessalonians chapter three. He does talk about the rapture of the church. He talks about how God's going to take the church away. Spoken of in Acts chapter two, where Jesus takes off, or in Acts chapter one, I'm sorry, where Jesus is ascending into heaven, right in front of the disciples' eyes, and all the disciples are sitting there seeing Jesus ascend into heaven after he was killed. Buried and resurrected three days later and spent some time with everybody and he's there and then all of a sudden he's out there and, and he rises up into heaven and the clouds receive Jesus and they're all sitting there. And Jesus says, listen, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go out there and tell them about me. Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go out and preach the gospel, the good news. What's the good news? That Christ lived, died, was buried, and rose again. That's what Paul started the whole chapter off with, right? For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the good news. It doesn't have to be, the end doesn't have to be at the end of, your earthly, terrestrial life. It can be eternal. It can be heavenly. But it's through Christ. It's through. We have our victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul is talking to the church. He's not talking to just everybody. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those of you who believe in Christ who have given your heart to Christ, who have received Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior. That's who he's talking to. He's saying, you might not even have to experience that. There's coming a day where Jesus is going to come back. You remember there, as I was saying, there in Acts chapter 1, all the disciples see Jesus ascend into heaven right after he gave them that commission, that great commission. They're all sitting there. They're looking up into heaven. And they're seeing him go up into the clouds. And they go, he, he's gone. And they're sitting there and they're just going to camp out there. They're probably going to make a church right there with a little telescope in the sky, you know, until the angels come along. A couple of little angels come along and they say, hey, guys, what are you doing? Standing here, gazing up and looking in the clouds. And I'm sure one of them was bold enough to say, well, because Jesus just went there. Wonder to see if he's going to come back down. 
He said he's going to return one day. Uh, is, when's that day? And the, and, and the angel said, didn't he give you something to do? They basically reminded them of the commission that Jesus had just set them on. He doesn't want you to camp out here and look into the clouds. He wants you to go into the world so that others might experience what you get the opportunity to experience after your life is over. Where you are going to go to heaven, they will go to heaven too. Go out and tell people that they can go to heaven through Jesus Christ. Get away from here. He's not coming back at this very moment. But you don't know when he's coming back. You just be busy about your father's business. You be busy about what Christ has called you to do until he comes back. And that's what Paul's saying. We don't know when he's going to come back. Let's live as if Christ is going to come back today. Those who say that, that the rapture of the church is a new teaching, is a new doctrine, don't read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul anticipated Jesus coming back at any time. That's called the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And if you ever get mixed up on that word imminent, you just have to kind of rearrange the word a little bit to understand what that word means. In, in, imminent, if you just kind of mess up the word a little bit, in a minute or any minute. He can come back at any minute. It's an imminent return of Christ. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't you know? I'm going to tell you something that is a secret, that is, that is a mystery. It's not a secret. It's, it's something that was formerly not known but is known now. <clears throat> we're not all going to die, but we're going to be changed. Not all of you are going to have to suffer death. I hope that I'm one of those guys. I'm not afraid of death. As Woody Allen said, you remember? I'm not a, so much afraid of death. It's the dying part I'm a little afraid of. I don't want to, to, to experience the dying part. That's going to be the hard part. Death, going to be with the Lord. I just don't want to feel the dying part. That's going to be a hard part. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. What's a twinkle? It's not a blinkle. It's a twinkle. Sorry. It's a twinkle. Twinkle is faster than a blink. Boom. Gone. Boom. Last trumpet. Whoop. Boom. Gone. We find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that it says that there's going to be a voice. Revelation chapter 4 says that, I believe that voice says, come up here. The trump of God. And we'll boom, we'll be changed. We're going to be out of this mortal body and into an immortal body in heaven. The only way we can have that victory, whether by death or whether by rapture, translation, whatever, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is how he bookends this, and I end with this, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Paul says to the church, be steadfast, be immovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know what he's saying? Don't give up. Don't get tired. For as long as you live in this mortal body, Live for Jesus, man. Because one day you're going to see him. You're living in a speck right now. Let your speck count. Let your speck affect the world around you. Do the ministry. Do what Christ has called you to do. Go out and tell people about Jesus. 
It's the greatest story ever ever told. It's the greatest truth ever known to man. And it is the greatest reward, eternity in the presence of the Lord. Everybody doesn't go to the Lord. Everybody doesn't go to heaven. The Bible talks about those who don't know Christ, that don't have the victory in Christ. They will stand before the Lord at a great white throne judgment. And according to Revelation chapter 21, there's not one person that stands before that great white throne judgment that will go to heaven, but they'll be cast out. That's a whole other story. But just know this, there are two destinations and you're going to one of them. My challenge to you is don't hog your destination to yourself if you're going to heaven. Let's open our mouth, gang. Let's go out and tell people about Jesus. Don't give up. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord. And I want you to know, as Paul says, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If one person believes because, can you imagine that person's eternity has changed because of you? Because God used you. Not because you did anything other than open your, open your mouth. I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. We don't save anybody. Anybody who gets saved. It's a miracle work of the Holy Spirit. But God has chosen to use you and I to go out and share the good news, the gospel, that people don't have to go to hell, that people can go to heaven. What's your spot going to look like? What's your speck going to look like? Let your speck count. Don't give up. Don't give up. Father, thank you so much for today. And Lord, you give us a hope. You give us an eternal hope. You show us heaven. You tell us about heaven. Your word, it explains some aspects of heaven. And, And if it were just what we can learn from Scripture, if your heaven is anything like we see written out in Scripture, that's enough to completely and totally blow our minds. But Lord, we also know that heaven can't be explained in the words that are on a page. Even as Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I know a man who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but how he was caught up into the third heaven. He was caught up into paradise. He was caught up into heaven. And he saw things there. that is not even lawful for a man to speak of because it was so glorious. I, 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 can't even, I can't even explain it. I can't put into words what it is that I saw. I can't put into words what, what I witnessed, what I experienced. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. You couldn't understand if I shared it with you. One day, that eternal heaven is offered to every one of us. And Lord, I pray that if there's one or many or or, or more than one in this room that doesn't have that assurance that they're going to go to heaven, Lord, they can simply, it's not in a magic of words. 
And it's definitely not in me saying these words to them. But Lord, it, it really is an attitude of a heart that wants to have what you desire man to have. You've always desired man to have it. You've always desired. When I say man, I, I'd say that generically. Men, women, and child, children. It's what you've always desired mankind to have. It's eternal life with you. It's the reason that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, to be buried and raised again three days later, to defeat death, something that we couldn't do. And definitely not as a sinless individual. God, you became a man and you died for us because you loved us in order to give us an opportunity to choose you. And so, Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now that wants to choose you, Lord, they can do it right now, Lord. They can simply just say, Lord, I, I do choose you today. I, I may not understand everything, but what I, what I do know is I want to go to heaven, Lord. I want my sin to be forgiven. I want my, my future to include you. I know that my sin has separated me from you. But your word tells me that Jesus died for my sin. He was buried and rose again for my sin. And if I believe in that, if I receive that substitutionary death, that penalty, that payment that he made, not for himself, but for all who would come to him and all would who, who would believe in him. That they would be forgiven of their sins because Jesus took my sin upon his own back and paid my penalty. I received that. I want to be a Christian, Lord. I want to be a follower of yours. I don't even know what all that means right now, but I know and pray that you'll show me. But first things first, I need to be saved. I need to know that if I were to die today, I'd be in your presence as my Lord and my Savior, as my friend, as my God, as my King, not as my judge. Come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I, I confess my sin. I ask God that you forgive me. I ask that you would come into my life. Change my direction, my course for the rest of my earthly life and heavenly life. Thank you God for that choice that you've given me to go to heaven. I accept it today. I accept you today. I accept your death, burial, and resurrection today. And though I don't understand it all, I trust, Lord, that you'll show me from this day forward what it means and what my plan is in life, what you want to do in my life. I offer my life to you and I pray, God, that this new life that you've given me will be one that would crack a smile on your face. One day when I see you face to face, you say, well done, my good and faithful child. Enter into the joy of your rest. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer.
thank you for saving my soul. And for the rest of us, Lord, we thank you, God, for just redirecting our path back onto what's important today. And that is to fulfill the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the good news. For you and your sake. Not for our sake, but for your sake. Help us, Lord. Use us in our families and friends' lives and in our acquaintances and the people that we meet on the street that you prompt our heart to speak to. God, use us. Make our speck count. May you be pleased with the remaining portion of our life until we get to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.